This week on A Lively Experiment, a recap of what happened in the waning days of the General Assembly. And Rhode Island moves up on a national ranking of business-friendly states, but don't pop the champagne corks just yet. A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by for more than 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazenwhite, Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program and Rhode Island PBS. Joining us on the panel, Sue Sienke, Chairwoman of the Rhode Island Republican Party. Ted Nisi, Politics and Business Editor for WPRI-TV. And Political Strategist, Rob Horowitz. Hello and welcome to Lively. I'm Jim Humble. It is great to be back with you again this week. Well, it only ta it always takes several weeks to sort out what the state, House, and Senate did or didn't do on the last couple of days of the session. The details have been trickling out publicly since late last month. The governor's also broken out his veto pen on a few pieces of legislation as well. Ted, let me begin with you. You had either the honor of the misfortune of being there at the end of the session. It's always a big mountain at the end. Uh, just your takeaways now that we've had a couple of weeks to look at the dust settle. What, what are your thoughts? Well, I do think they, they passed quite a few significant measures uh, and, and quite a few progressive measures, which I know uh, will have different opinions <laughs> with my, uh, my fellow panelists as we get through the show. But as a reporter of the group, you know, the Act on Climate Bill, the Pay Equity Bill, some of the gum bills, these were bills that were discussed for multiple minimum years. Minimum wage. Minimum wage, thank you, Jim. Yeah, uh, you know, and these were things that were discussed for multiple years that, uh, you know, when Speaker Mattiello was in charge, you know, he was resistant to a lot of this as a more conservative Democrat. And while I, I don't think Joe Shikarchi is Bernie Sanders by any means, I do think he is closer to the middle and had to give some things to, to his progressives in his caucus, like those bills. Um, and Donnie Ruggiero definitely is feeling that way in the Senate, and we could see more with marijuana later this year. So the question, as always, is going to be, you know, how's the implementation of these laws go? You know, do, does act on climate, you know, help get around those emissions without a lot of uh, you know, negative effects on the business community, the minimum wage, et cetera. So I always think, you know, it's there's the politics of what bills pass, and then you need a couple of years to see, you know, are there are there unforeseen consequences? Plus, there's always those surprise bills, Jim, that we still haven't even really heard of that suddenly bubble up when there's when someone starts to squawk about it. And we say, what did they pass? Is Dr. Pedro still on the payroll or not? <laughs> Dr. Pedro is now in New York, actually. He's popped up again. He's probably so, gotten the New York. He's off the Rhode Island. Yeah, he's off the Rhode Island Medicaid now. Yeah. Uh, so. So, yeah, very interesting, and I agree with Ted. They've moved very far to the left, and exactly what is going to happen, specifically the Act on Climate Bill, is this actually something that we can do by 2030? They want a 45% reduction in uh, carbon emissions. You know, I don't think that government can actually... Uh, force technological innovation. You know, you have to let the businesses take care of that. And is this something that can happen? And I know that we had great expectations for Governor McKee. For six years, he has been pro-business. I'm the small business owner. And look what happened. Gov uh, Act on climate, the $15 minimum wage, the minimum staffing in uh, nursing homes. That's another and, big one, yeah. And then taxing the PPP loans. I mean, I think it's just absolutely insane. It devastates the business community. And talk 
talking about that, look at what the, uh, the national indicators for businesses have come out. We're at 46th. We are not a business-friendly environment. So we've got bad education, bad business environment. How do we grow? How do we maintain what this beautiful state has to offer? Well, it's not by going left. You know, it's not by having a bad business climate here. So it's morning again in Rhode Island. Come on. <laughs> it's not midnight. No, I'm just teasing. Rob was dancing a jig at the end of the session. So I, I'd say two things. One, in terms of the climate goals, they're aligned with the national climate goals. And if anyone has been watching what, go, what was going on out west, if you look at what the costs of not doing something about climate change are, they far, um, they far exceed what the costs of doing something are over time. So I, I hear your point about the practicality, mm -hmm. but but that's where this decarbonization is where this is all going to head energy-wise, and, and uh, Rhode Island should be a part of it, and it is going to be a part of it. In terms of the session, I think it, it was sort of a honeymoon kind of year. Part of it is because there's so much money sloshing around, mm -hmm. and that's federal money, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we should spend it prudently, so you didn't have to make any, a lot of tough fiscal decisions this year. And I think both having a new governor, um, who is in politics is always better to be lucky than good, whose timing is perfect, um, <laughs> given when he took Vaccinations over. Vaccinations and the money and Exactly, all and the economy getting better. Um, maybe relatively still problematic, but getting better overall. And, um, and a new speaker after um, sort of the hard-edged Mattiello, who for now, um, both in terms of the relationships between the, the leaders is, is, is much improved, and also in terms of his caucus, because he, uh, he listens. Obviously, it takes time before you start to alienate people, he has yet to alienate people. But I also wonder, on the act on climate, we talked about this when it first passed, nobody who's here now is likely going to be in office in 2030. We've never been good on long-term planning. It's okay, let's get through this budget. What, uh, what tranche of money can we use going back to the tobacco money all those years ago? So who's really going to keep the eye on the ball in 2022, 2024, 2026? From the legislation, is that baked in in terms of who's keeping track of this? Well, first, I don't know, Jim, because Ruggiero has been at the General Assembly since 1980, so we might have some of the same lawmakers to go. Not I'm not sure he's yeah. going to be there 10 yeah. more he's years. He's not going to like me saying I, that, but I... I, I, I better not be here 10 yeah, years from that's now. Right. We'll um, you know, I think, you know, I think, I think there are valid questions about, especially a state... It's one thing if California sets big climate goals. California is such a big swath of the economy. Rhode Island is always going to have trouble, you know, shifting the needle too much on, you know, national emissions, let alone international ones. But, you know, I think it's it's re it's a really important issue to a lot of um, progressives and even some some centrists who are so worried about what they see in the West, uh, the, the what could happen to the coastline here. But I, again, yeah, I do think how we have to see how the implementation of it. Sometimes everyone agrees on the goal, and then when the executive council that kind of oversees climate change goals in Rhode Island starts to say, okay, well that means we're going to, you know. Know, ratchet this back in this industry or try to shift regulations. Sometimes that's when you see a backlash that you don't get initially up front when it's just a goal. I mean, usually clean energy polls well even you know with Republicans, oh, right? Absolutely. It's, it's absolutely. not something, it's just how you get there is often well, you what you White are going to be doing the story in 2024. The council hasn't met for five <laughs> years, right? <laughs> I, but we do have some unique advantages in Rhode Island. We have wind power, for example. But it's not 24, it's not reliable. Really. You know, when you talk about clean energy, you're right. I think everybody agrees. We all care about the environment. We're the ocean state, we should. But what are we talking about? You're talking about solar and wind energy. That isn't 24 seven reliable. We haven't learned how to collect well, that 
electricity right. and but, storage. But, but technology and battery technology. But we're not talking about nuclear. We're not we're talking not, about nuclear energy, which is clean and reliable. We're just not and, talking about it. And we should it. talk about nuclear energy. We should talk about I, all I, the I options. agree it should be all non-carbon producers. We, we agree completely on that. On, on the other hand, we're not talking about 100% by 2030. We're talking about four. So there's still be a, even if, I, I, I think we agree we to now? disagree. Where, where are we I now? I think we agree to disagree on, right. on, on, on how reliable wind and solar power Where are we now? Where are we now? Are we now? Hand, We're so low. I mean, 40% is a huge leap. It's a huge leap for something that we don't have 24-7 reliable you, energy. But if you look at, if you look at for right now nationally in terms of the energy grid, nationally, we're over. Renewable now exceeds coal. And if you're looking at how this is accelerating both worldwide and regionally, and that's the other piece I'd like to, to mention, which is there's a regional arrangement, including a Republican, and by the way, a very good governor, Charlie Baker, who's, a, who, who's pretty aligned on all this stuff. Because um, when you look into the future, we can all sit here and go, this is going to be too hard to do. I'm reading a book about JFK right now on the moon landing. Mm -hmm. We go to the moon because it's hard. This is hard. I agree, but we still got to do it. Yeah, but but look at what has happened to the coal industry. We all realized it was dirty and it's not, you right. know, sufficient and we're using things. So we went to natural gas, which is cleaner and and cheaper. So if you come up with a clean, cheap, reliable energy, people are going to go for it. They are going to go for and, it. And is wind and solar the, the be-all and end-all. No, we have to look I, at other areas. One thing I'd point out, because as you know, Jim, our TV market goes across the border over into New Bedford. I do think one risk Rhode Island has right now that's not being talked about a lot is New Bedford is doing pretty well in the fight to be the kind of uh, southern New England hub of wind energy. They've mm. had two announcements in the last week. I'm expecting a, a big announcement any day now down there about vineyard wind. And the whole argument that, all the way back to Governor Kachiri, was if Rhode Island did the deep water wind Block Island project, First mover advantage, this is where things would, would you know, really get going. And I do think Rhode Island runs the risk that New Bedford is getting a jump on the ocean state as kind of that hub for offshore wind. I'm not saying the, the, it's over, but I, I do notice a lot more announcements there, and they are a little ahead. But we're going to be doing a lot of the staging right here for the, for the expansion I think of the Rhode Island, right? I think for the Rhode Island-based ones, and it also depends how they write the contracts. But I also do think, you know, you just see historically the place that, that does it first, and really, you know, they've built, they have an institute that's going to open next year to train the wind energy people. They just announced doubling the size of the port for staging. So I right. just think in, even among in regional competition, I think Rhode Island, there's been a lot of talk about the potential economic development of offshore wind, and I just think people could say, oh, how did New Bedford get ahead of us on that? All right, final point on climate change? Yeah, I, I think we have to look at all of our options. You know, we cannot just rely on solar and wind because there is then, what do you do with the solar panels? What do you do with the wind blades? They can't be recycled. There is a waste product to all of that. So I think we have to look at every single option out there and then promote technological innovation. All right, we're booking you and Rob for two years, four years, six years, <laughs> 10 years from now. We'll have you guys Sounds back good. and uh, we'll roll the tape. Uh, fall session. Does it look increasingly like? I think it's increasingly likely. I still wouldn't say guaranteed. Uh, hot, right. hot, high up. Also, police discipline. Leo Bohr, the right. law enforcement officer. Yeah, but are Bill they ever going to get? I mean, we talked about this two weeks ago on the show. We've had so long to think about this. Mm -hmm. At some point, you just got a, a fish or cut bait, right? Yeah, you got to right. decide what's it going to be. Yeah, and Shikarchi uh, was uh, on with with Kim Kalunian at my station the other day, and he said he's not going to bring everybody back unless there's consensus formed over the summer. On 
on those issues. It's not just bring everybody back to sort of sit around and fight with the Senate about how it's going to be. And you have you have big disagreements on both those issues on marijuana. The Senate really wants a cannabis control commission like Massachusetts has. The governor the wants to keep it in yeah. DBR. And on police discipline, you I, I still have not heard that um, Representative Williams in the House, who's the lead sponsor there, is on board with kind of the compromise that was bubbling up after the fact. She didn't think it went far. Was there enough. a compromise? There, it sounded like they thought there was going to be, but the they needed panel, the sponsors. The discipline, all Exactly. Of that. It gets complex. Yeah, I think don't forget about redistricting. You know, yeah. the census numbers will be coming back, so that there is going to have to be the redistricting commission come back and, and look at that. The numbers are supposed to be coming out shortly. We have heard from the census department by the end of September. So there will be some shifting of population. What happens particularly? I'll be interested to see what Senator Ruggiero does. Were you surprised that we kept the congressional seat? Um, yes and no. Um, you know, you look at, we haven't been growing our population to the extent that I thought we were going to keep it. I actually worked on the census in 2010. We were razor thin then. We are still razor thin. If you look at our second seat, we were uh, at 419 in 2010. We are at 428. So we are dropping. What did New York miss it by 89 people? 89 something people, the whole right. state of New and York. And that's, and that's what you have to look at. You know, right. how did other states do? Some other states were horrible. Rhode Island actually did a pretty good job of getting people out and getting them counted, and that's why we kept the seat. Well, I, I agree. Um, I think you, you give the people that, that did the effort, which, which um, the state contributed a fair amount, but also a lot of the community-based organizations and the organizing effort around it saved the seat. There has been a lot of talk about the governor's emergency order. It's been extended. It started under Governor Mundo a year ago in March. Uh, extended now to August, and that brings with it a whole pile of things. Some critics have said, why do we need the emergency order? One thing that's been flying under the radar is once that emergency order ends, legislation was proposed to continue to allow public bodies to, to meet virtually. There's been some criticism about that. Now, Sue, because that legislation didn't go through, when that emergency order ends, your town council and school committee have to face you in person. Yeah, and I think that that's a good idea. What I also would like to see, and which is disappointing that didn't happen, is that they allow a hybrid model, that you allow people to still tune in if they're at home to participate. With the theme of clean energy, a hybrid model. Yeah, with <laughs> the theme of um, all hybrid. Clean government. Um, clean government. To allow people to participate. You know, what was interesting was when the testimony was going on at the State House, several of the business owners had come to me and said, you know, it was really kind of a nice ability of them not to sit for hours upon hours to testify to get in a bill. Three minutes or whatever to get it was. their two minutes, mm -hmm. you know, at two minutes at a time. Um, so that was a nice ability. But it's and we so, heard that from viewers, too, that people, you know, parents, you know, who have, you know, the kids are trying to do the homework dinner, and cooking right. dinner and they yeah. got to put somebody to bed. They could still, you know, have on their phone a school committee meeting they really cared about rather than trooping downtown or whatever. And but, potentially take that two minutes to, 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 uh, to, to weigh in. To raise your right? hand and testify. Now, the flip side is uh, our Providence reporter, Steph Machado, who I know appears on Lively sometimes, uh, it drove her nuts when they didn't meet in person at all because half the time how she'd finally get a quote on a story is to buttonhole a council member who couldn't escape her in the chair. Chamber, and when they're on Zoom, they just click and they turn it off. Well, and she Steph had that them. famous story that the Providence City Council of Finance Committee passed a b bazillion dollar budget. They never got to see it before. She was fit to be tied. Um, yeah. You know, the, and she said in, in, in person, I would have just walked up to the clerk and gotten it. Yeah, exactly. But I'm sitting there on my computer texting people on the council, yeah. like, where is the budget? <laughs> like, it's uh, crickets. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I think if you, if you do a hybrid, they should be back in person. But you want to give, um, if, 
you want to give people who are non-lobbyists, mm. non, who don't do this full time, the ability to participate. So if they can participate via Zoom, and if we could either via Zoom or a lot of other states, local meetings are televised. So at least in live, you know, on, on cable access, as, 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 as much sort of extra video and extra ways to participate by technology are there, but, but the core of the meetings should be live. Yeah, I think when I was initially on the school committee and town council, we actually had public television come in and televise our thing, which was great, but then the money dried up and <clears throat> it didn't happen. And a lot of school but committees- the technology's gotten a lot better. You set up a laptop right. and- But you, now you can, right, right. the technology exactly. has Well, I talked better. to John Marion at length, and you know we've all talked to John about this. The amazing part was they were gonna sunset the bill in 2023 that you could that boards could wait until then which is like a mind blower but so his hope was nothing requires them now to set up virtual but nothing prevents them either right so I would think the hybrid model right I would certainly think I you know and, and part of that will have to bubble up from citizens who tell officials on councils like where Sue served that hey we want we want this ability you know you can't expect busy parents you know people working two jobs but maybe. they all have the technology now they can't hide behind exactly. oh we've never done and, it and also Jim and you know this you know you did this show on zoom we were using zoom all the time I think people became much more accepting of, of you don't have to have cable yeah, television or crappy level. internet occasionally yeah, you know, first of all, it's not for everything, but for, you know, just to have access to a meeting, if you set up, you know, if you have a two camera shot yeah. uh, and somebody just press a button on Zoom even, you can have a, a decent little way to at least show a municipal meeting. I think you should require it. I mean, I, I think it should be live, but I, I wouldn't leave it up to, to, to town bodies. What if they get tired of it or someone's really good on Zoom that's a, that's a town <laughs> critic? I, I think you require it going forward. Um, you keep the meetings live and you require it. I also think in terms of the cable television, is a little different because it's hard to participate that way. It could be in, in contracts. I mean, in, in other states, cable is required, you know, when they cut, say, a deal in New York City, right. they're required to cover the meetings. I mean, given that, that for both Cox and Verizon, anyone who's gotten into cable TV is just a license to print money. It's the least they could do. Okay. One of those national surveys came out again, and of course, there's always good news and bad news. The good news is Rhode Island is not the worst business climate in the state. The bad news is we've moved up four slots. Uh, Ted, you covered this. Um, but CNBC, yeah. some people are like, how do they go about the metrics? The bottom line is, and, and it's a mind blower to me that Gina Raimondo became the Commerce <laughs> Secretary. I, I mean, we all know it's because she flew around the country and schmo schmoozed and raised a lot of money. It certainly was not because of our business climate. No, well, it's certainly not the way CNBC views it anyway. Yeah, you know, as you say, there, there's, there's absolutely critics of these rankings. I would not say it's the last word on uh, comparing states or business, but I, one reason I've always still found it interesting is because whatever their secret sauces of the rankings, it doesn't, it's not just a ranking that punishes blue states, which is what sometimes you hear folks on the left say about these rankings. Right. Massachusetts is 14th. Connecticut jumped from the 30s to the 20s, um, which frankly surprised me after all the blows they've taken in recent years with sure. GE leaving and everything. And yet Rhode Island just kind of bounces between 45th and 50th every year. Uh, and the, the problem, if you look, again, according to their metrics, is... Rhode Island, uh, Massachusetts and Connecticut fare just as poorly by their ranking on things like cost of living and the cost of doing business. But the education outcomes are much worse in Rhode Island. The, uh, uh, what was the other one that was? Oh, technology and innovation is another one where Massachusetts and Connecticut are leaps ahead. So Rhode Island is expensive like them, yet not getting the same outcomes that offset it when they look at Massachusetts and Connecticut. That's a, that's a long-term problem for Rhode Island because it's always going to be wedged between those two wealthier states.
Yeah, it's, it didn't surprise me, you know, talking to the business owners. Were you, you hoping know, for 45 instead of 46? You know, and always, did you hold out hope? You know, I, I am a, a big proponent of the state. I think it's beautiful. I think we've got a storied history and wonderful landscape. I wish we had a better business climate. What I see is, you know, there's no impetus to try to do better. The affordability is what kills us. What costs us? Our energy costs are high. You know, our cost of doing business regulations, the amount of business regulations that we have in the state is absurd. I mean, they require states, and this is just a little thing, to actually pay the state to get a license to collect sales tax. So a business owner has to pay in order to, to be collect, the collector, to for, be the the collector yeah. for the state. I mean, Although I think McKee took that out in his budget, didn't he? He took it out. I think it's back in. It's huh. it's it's. That's it's one of those insane. things we're still trying to sort yeah, trying through to figure all, out, all you these know, months the, later. The budget booklet, and and I think the message to the business owners is, well, you'll never leave. But it's not that they won't ever leave. They're not investing their capital in the, in well, this state. Well, and what greater slap than the PPP money, right? The yes. taxing, like the takeos and the larger the manufacturers. Rob, it's t about taking care of your base in politics, right? Take care of your businesses here. And that stunned me that, that the governor didn't use Mr. Pro-Business, use some of the federal money or figure out a way to bridge that $100 million or whatever it's going to raise. Well, and you look at the amount of businesses that were affected by that, it's only 7% of the businesses in the state. The amount of money that they're going to collect from that is is infinitesimal. Well, I spoke to some people to who said if they knew they were going to be taxed, they wouldn't have taken the money right. or they would have put it aside. Anyhow, right. side yes. argument. I, I agree. I, I thought that was an ill-advised move, especially because the revenue was not large, once, especially once he compromised mm -hmm. on it some. I do think the, the one takeaway from the CNBC one and something, some of the, some of the costs, I, not that we can't streamline regulations, but some of the court costs of doing business here are baked into being in the Northeast and where we are is how much we have to improve our education system. Because if we can make our workforce more competitive. Then you attract. Then you attract people just executives like Massachusetts. And, businesses, right? and you attract, and the other thing, you attract um, executives and businesses. Not, they don't just look at the tax structure. If they're, if they're going to move here, they look at the schools. So I, I think that's still the number one task. And it's, it's, a, it's a long playing record of, of, if you look at what Massachusetts has done with their schools, and you look at what we've done with our schools, um, there's a clear blueprint to how to get there. And, and, and over a period of 15, 20, 25 years, we simply haven't done it. And Massachusetts also had the benefit that, that I think that discussion wasn't as polarized. I mean, I was a kid growing up in Massachusetts in the 90s, and there was pushback. But now it's become very much like a nationalized political issue about you know how you have accountability, the balance between support for teachers and, and standards and evaluations and testing the kids and all that. So I actually think it's gotten harder to do some of that now than it was when Massachusetts did it. Yeah, but you look, even talking, going back to the census, you look at who's leaving our state. And the biggest demographic that's leaving is those 20 to 30 year olds. So the students that we are educating are not staying here. It's not the state workers getting their pension check in Fort Lauderdale? No, actually that that's surprising stuff. and it's not. It's the biggest demographic is those students that we are educating, that are yeah. educated. So our educated workforce are leaving. And they and tried that's to bake good. that into the Rhode Island promise that if there would be some, you know, um, uh, assured that you would stay in the state. Yeah, but afterwards. we're not educating them in the K through 12 system. Yeah. So we're just extending, you know, kindergarten. So I, I, I agree with Ted that it's gotten tougher, but there is a way to build a new constituency. If you look at African American parents in province, Latin American parents in provinces, kids aren't getting educated. And you look at, say, the union leadership, which is pretty much very white and pretty much out of touch, even with some of the teachers. 
I think there's a way to build a, build a real coalition. Um, it would take some work School with choice. a bunch of new emerging people. Uh, that could <laughs> a whole other show Probably. on that. I, I'm good with ch I'm good with charters. So I'm with, okay. You know, School I'm good with charters. But you still need to have a robust public education right, system. I, I, I think there's a way to build it. Yeah. Yeah. To be yeah. continued. But it's not the panacea. I don't think that school choice is the panacea. But right now, those students that are in the Providence school system, they don't have five years. They don't have ten years to wait. So we have to fix the Providence. Just school. briefly, Jim, I would point out. You know, you, another way to look at the session is what doesn't happen. And one win for Dan McKee was that you never saw a vote on the charter school moratorium which right. looked like that train was leaving the station early on. I'm, I'm sure he fought hard behind the scenes to make sure there was no vote and on that. that I won't have to veto it exactly. and all of that. Okay, uh, let's do outrageous and or kudos. Miss Yankee, what do you have this week? So I think I'm going to go national with this one. <clears throat> um, I think everybody should be outraged about what happened in New York City and the uh, alleged kidnapping uh, of a Iranian uh, journalist. She was a United States citizen. I think everybody should be outraged about what happened, that you had Iranian uh, nationals come over here and try to kidnap a United States journalist mm. um, and take her back to Iran. It's frightening. It's scary. And we have to start looking about what the foreign policy is of the current president sitting in the office. Is he tough enough on Iran? Rob, what do you have? My, my outrage is also national, but, but strange to say, it's not the same as yours. Oh. Um, the, um, <laughs> shocking. Shocking. <laughs> it's really the Fox News personalities, um, particularly Tucker Carlson, because he does know better, and, and their um, flirtation with anti-vaccination, vaccination, excuse me. And you can see it really play out when sort of door-to-door, -door, you know, giving people information door-to-door, -door, campaigns do it, door-to-door -door salespeople do it, issues became this big issue because it was going to be around vaccinations. Um, right now, COVID-19 is mainly a serious disease for people that are unvaccinated, not vaccinated. 80% of Democrats are vaccinated, about 45% of Republicans are vaccinated. And part of it is this misinformation on the right, this political echo chamber on the right. And you would think, because they're kind of killing off some of their viewers and making them sick, that, that, that would make them stop. So far, it hasn't made Tucker Carlson or Laura Ingram or a number of others we could point to stop. All right, we're going to do the Rob and Sue uh, podcast afterwards. i got to get Ted first. I know you want to react to that. Go ahead. <laughs> Nines, the Wall Street Journal had a story earlier this week about the debt that students are taking on for these master's degrees program. They pointed to Columbia's Master's of Fine Arts, where they're taking out hundreds of thousands of dollars to do this program, and the students wind up making less than 30 k um, And I think... I think you know, the, the undergraduate cost of higher ed is bad enough, but these master's programs, which are not always required. I mean, I think a journalism gym where, you, you know, this is not usually a lucrative career and you can spend a ton of money on graduate. We'd be better off just taking like a $25,000 small town newspaper job. And Unless it you want to teach, but that's a whole different thing. And that's track. a whole different thing. Right. Yeah, I just think those, you know, I just think that loading 20-somethings with that much debt, especially if you're not about to become a lawyer or a doctor where you are almost certainly going to be able to pay it back, is really yeah, unconscionable. <laughs> but doesn't that go to financial literacy, too? Because now we're talking about, and look, the larger issue of the government spending so much money and going into debt, and oh, let's not worry about it. And I don't mean to make it a partisan thing, but, but it just seems that for you know, I had this discussion with my kids, and I'm sure you did. How much debt are you going to come out with any debt? What what field are you going into? A lot of kids rack it up, and I just think they think that's tomorrow's problem. Well, and I think again, as the government, you're does almost sometimes. by definition, this is going to be with someone who's never had rent to pay. You know, whether because they're 18 and going to college, or you know, 22, 23, and they have they've been in college and now they're going straight into grad school. So I think. 
there is a financial literacy piece, but at some, on some level, you just can't expect that level of understanding about what that debt is going to mean to someone for 20, 30 years, someone who's, who can barely think two years ahead still at that and age. And it's going to prevent them from buying a house, maybe having a family. Absolutely. Or, or I think whatever. that's part of why the housing market's so messed up is because so many millennials, it took us so long to get out of enough student debt to take on a new loan for the mortgage that a lot of people have to wait until their 30s instead of their 20s. Yeah, I think the push, you know, to you have to have a college degree is ridiculous. I don't think everybody should. I think that there are wonderful opportunities in trade to make a good living. It's hard to find a plumber and an electrician it, and a it, guy to hang your sheetrock. Let me tell you, we had a disaster in my house and it took almost 18 months to get wow. that disaster cleaned up because the electricians, the plumbers, they just weren't available. 30 seconds. You, I think you do need to con also control the cost of college. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the big, if you yeah, look at the- part of that is they made the loan so easy. That is that's part, why tuition that, that, is $60,000 a year. That is part of it, but it's by, by no means all of it. And if you look at how, how far it exceeds the cost of living increases, until you make the, the cost of college reasonable, you're still going to need people to go to college, to go to community college, good that they're making that free, and any kind of training, and to make that less expensive. All right, folks, I'm sorry that is all the time we have, but we're not done yet. We're going to do a lively extra, our special online bonus segment. For those of you who can, go right now to ripbs.org slash lively. For uh, the rest of you, Ted and Sue and Rob, thank you. Lively, as always, come back. We've got a lot to talk about, including the uh, governor's race, how that is shaping up. Mr. Nisi had a few things to say about that. Uh, but for the rest of you, come back next week as the Lively Experiment continues. Have a great week. Experiment is generously underwritten by. For more than 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen White Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program and Rhode Island PBS.